Hi again, Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, coming to you today with the pleasure of speaking with Zhang Yun Du, who is from Alberg University, professor and vice director in the UNESCO Center for PBL in Denmark. And we'll be discussing a paper that she has come out in the August 2022 issue of Medical Education entitled Health Educators Professional Agency in Negotiating Their PBL Facilitator Roles, a Q Study. Welcome, Jung Jung. I'm very pleased to meet you and glad to have the chance to talk about your paper. Hello, Kevin. Nice to meet you here. And thank you for the opportunity. The first thing I feel compelled to ask you about is you're sitting in Denmark, but most of the co-authors on this paper are from Qatar, and the, and the work was clearly done in Qatar. How did that connection get made, and how did you end up representing the group? Indeed, I'm currently sitting in Denmark, the PBL Center in Aalborg. However, in the past seven years, I've been working in Qatar University, in particular, the health cluster or the College of Medicine, College of Dental Science. They have implemented problem-based learning curriculum. In that process, I had opportunity to work with several colleagues there. So that's where we conducted study among other studies. And so your family actually lived there for a period of time? Yes, one of the most exciting experiences, both <laughs> professionally and privately. <laughs> I'm sure. And the UNESCO Center for PBL is likely a group that most of our listeners won't yet have heard of. So what do you do locally? We serve both locally in Denmark and particularly Obo University, which has a long history of implementing problem-based learning throughout all disciplines and curriculum since 70s. Our center has a history of 20 years. I used to work here before I went to Qatar, so I kind of moved back. We do a global collaboration on anything to do with PBL facilitation and curriculum change and so on, and research work. Mm, excellent. Yeah. yeah, that explains why you know, this project was focused on PBL, obviously. Yes, so PBL has been my career. I transformed myself. And so it's a focus of my personal and professional work. Mm. Well, and with having done so much work in the area, what was it that led you to want to study professional agency or the facilitator roles in problem-based learning? It's my first phases of my career, I would say, I focus on how do we change curriculum? How do we train people, teachers, educators, and students? But at a certain point of time, I thought, is it so mechanical? The change in, in real life is much more difficult, long-lasting, or time-demanding and complex. In particular, over the past years, we had a corona time with a lot of changes, on the top of changes, if we might say, adopting PBO was a kind of change for quite some educators, let's say, and students. And doing PBO in the pandemic time and then changing to the post-pandemic time, it's a lot of changes in life. So my interest moved together with the colleagues. How do we study changes? How do we facilitate more meaningful changes. So that's the initial interest to drive us. And pragmatically, our team, our co-authors for this article particularly, we are a group who work on different studies together. 
we look at different aspects of how to facilitate change for people to be ready for change, to be able to enact their own agency in the time of full of emergency and full of changes. So I could say that's a starting point. Yeah, well, and it's an interesting balance to have to achieve because as a center for PBL, there's presumably some hard-won lessons in terms of how to facilitate PBL effectively from your own expertise development. And at the same time, you know, we're never going to get everybody to do the exact same thing. And that autonomy or that agency Indeed. obviously is very important for people mm-hmm. to feel motivated. So how do you approach it in your own training of facilitators? What do you try to encourage them towards in terms of going out and doing what they feel comfortable with versus what you think is the best for PBL? Indeed, it's a very good question. And PBO is certainly not a new thing, in particular, not to health education at all. Over half a century, there are many practices, even in the so-called non-Western countries or contexts. So in particular, Qatar is not either a Western or non-Western contact. It's a very intercultural international contact where people who work here have been through different experiences. They've been around the world. So it's interestingly complex. So what does PBO mean for people? Many colleagues, they were students or facilitators in Canada, US or Europe in other countries, but each understood PBO in a different different way. And each perceives what does it mean to be a PBO facilitator in their own way and also following the institutional practices they were familiar before. So before Corona time, there were some, you could say, protocols or guidelines about what does it mean to be a facilitator in the Qatar context, primarily facing what it means to be a local student to serve the student's needs. During Corona time, we found out that when things are moving around and many things have to be carried out online, it generated a lot of confusion and particularly about how to do good facilitation. It's primarily not just about PBL. It's about teaching and learning in general. What does it mean to facilitate good learning in the current context? So we are trying to see, do they still perceive their roles in the same way as they were expected before? Or what is it for the current time? So our answers also help us to understand there is no such a standard. A standard may not exist anymore. We all have to explore the new complexity and start from there. So that's what we have tried to learn. <laughs> mm, right, okay. And in trying to understand those mm. perspectives, you use Q methodology, mm. and we can leave the methodological mm. details for people to read about, but it enables you to identify five different viewpoints. So can you explain the methodology enough to help people understand mm. how you come to that conclusion? Indeed. The starting point was also we were not just want to see quantitatively categorized patterns anymore because things are not static anymore. Things are fluid. People's beliefs and perceptions are fluid nowadays. So it's about subjectivity, but at the same time, we also want to see some meaningful phenomena, we would say. Therefore, we choose the Q methodology, which gives a kind of approach to combine 
qualitative characteristics, but also quantitative way to calculate our outcome. So somehow we bring up some patterns to our readers or to our colleagues. So somehow that's also due to the nature of health education. Most people tend to believe in more quantitative like related outcome, but we also want to explore the subjectivity in a post-pandemic time. So therefore, this method was chosen. It's not new, but it's relatively new in the education field still, we can say so, particular in terms of studying in the higher education. I would say the tension is being raised in the health profession in general. In education particular, maybe it's coming up. So hopefully this method can be further accepted by a larger group of colleagues internationally. And when you say that five different viewpoints were identified at that moment anyway, there were distinct ways of people considering what their role was as a PBL facilitator? One of the characteristics of the Q methods is to say group-based subjectivity, to see how people share their opinions, their personal opinions in groups or disagree with each other in groups. So the five, what we found statistically distinguished viewpoints, some of the colleagues, they rely more on the institutional support for them to give them the space to enact their agency. Well, some other groups, they are more believing in themselves, their own belief, their personal beliefs, and their personal actions that are more important to source their own agency. And also, we do find few, fortunately, colleagues who are not interested in pedagogy in general. I guess such colleagues do exist in our institutes. We need to have a long discussion. What can we do if they're not interested in teaching at all, but they end it in educational institutions? Mm -hmm. But that's probably a different story to discuss. But the majority, they are interested, passionate, engaged. They just need support in different ways. And also what we learned is the agency is not just the individual. It's not a personal trait. It's much more relational, uh, relying on how they interact with others and how they interact with their institute. So the social interactive aspect of agency seems to be rather important for our participants. Um, important in what way? Did you get any indication from the study or from your um, other work of what having different forms of agency enables them to accomplish? Somehow you could say it's about how people make choices in life, and particularly in this case, it's about how to make choices and decisions in their professional life. Some colleagues, they let the flow go. They follow the instruction or requirements of the institutes. That's what we see. They could have more agentic sources. Some, they are more personally or individually strong in their own agency expression or manifestation. Understanding this help us to know we cannot rely on individuals to be strong enough to make their own choices. We want people to make their own choices, but with the support of conditions provided by the institutes. 
And so as we talk about supporting these individuals and the variety of supports that might be required, I'm reminded of Zareen Zaidi's commentary on your paper and raising questions about what happens when we transfer one mode of teaching or educational activity into other places. Do you have any reactions on the notion of supporting people cross-culturally? Yeah, it's rather interesting phenomena. We had quite some reflection about the culture. We decided not to write too much because culture is very complex on its own. It takes a lot of pages to write about culture as well, particularly in the context of Qatar University. The majority of the faculty members come from outside of the country. In reality, among the 50 staff, if we say right now for the College of Medicine for the moment, I think more than 45, they are from abroad. So each carry on their own cultures, if we say. They were, some of them were born in different Arabic-speaking countries, and they grew up in other countries, and they were educated and worked through. So by definition, each one carry on at least three to five country-wise cultural experiences. So in that way, we don't know what is culture. We were reluctant to use the West or non-West to stereotype our discussion because it's primarily how culture and institutional environment, our personal background, co-construct a person as an educator. A health educator or any educators nowadays carry on many different values along their own experiences. They might be aligned with each other relating to cultures. Maybe they conflict with each other. So the notion of agency becomes important in terms of how they make their choices. As an educator, do they make their choices of being a facilitator by what I think when I was a medical student, how I was trained, or what does it mean to be a medical health professional in the context of Jordan, where I grew up with, or in Qatar, where the student may go to work with, or we think internationally. So there are many ideas or inspirations, but also maybe small struggles when they think about what do I do? Do I tell them the answers or I inspire them or I challenge my students more in the PBO sessions, if we say. So the primary thing is not just PBO as such, it's in general. How do we want to educate our students by who I am, where I have been, how I have experienced and who the students are, which should be more important. So all these constructs are very complex. We want our educators or our colleagues to be more empowered, to be able to self-empowered. And for that, the institutes play an important role to give the space for them to be able to empower themselves, to be a educator nowadays. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, well, and it does, and it makes me think, you know, and you think about your role and wanting to enable and empower PBL facilitators and the wide array of backgrounds that you said that people are coming to this particular university from. It must have been a relief to some degree to see that there were actually a handful of viewpoints that could be reflective of some subgroups as opposed to there being 
45 or 50 completely different views that all need to be addressed. I suppose if the point is that it's about creating the space for them to self-empower, then... Yeah, indeed. It really doesn't matter how they do that, but how do you create space now that you've you know, come to that conclusion or that implication? What does it mean to you to say that the institution should be creating space for these individuals? Yeah, that's also a very interesting question. We may not have exact answers. Prior to the pandemic, there was guidelines for what one should do to be a good facilitator. And I believe all the health education journals have published multiple articles about characteristics of good PBO facilitate, let's say. But do they still work? Are they still functional in the current? And do they work for everyone? Do they really fit all the context? So that's a question we debate, we discuss. We found it so difficult to really conclude. In another study, for example, when we interviewed the colleagues, we found they are confused about what it means to be a PBO facilitators and what they should do. And some have more idea what they should do. Some may expect more ideas from institutes. As the leaders from the institutes, our co-authors also reflected on this. Somehow we feel reluctant to give more guideline on what people should exactly do. But rather, it might make more sense to let people discuss more, provide more opportunities, let people speak out, both positively about what they believe in, or even their concerns or negative attitudes. So somehow people can have the opportunity to feel they are able to make some more decisions that fulfill the agreed principles, but also suit their individually situated context. I understand it's easy to say than to do. It may work more flexibly in smaller institutes, like what we worked in. It might be more challenging in a large institute, I imagine. But somehow we it's something we start with. Getting people standardized protocols may be very challenging nowadays. It does not fit the complexity and emergencies. But we do need common principles that people all believe in. And that's where we say the democratic process might helpfully contribute to. But at the same time, they shall be able to make choices that does not their own free mind, but that serve the purpose of contributing for the students' learning needs and for the institutional goals. So to discuss it, to act it, and to evaluate it and do more research on this. One thing we are trying to do, hopefully, is to involve more and more educators or our facilitators to be co-researchers in our studies. Hopefully, through the process, they generate a better understanding of how students learn. So I have to say, we don't have conclusion on that matter, but to explore different ways and learn from the process. Yeah, and having found a productive path forward where you can continue to explore and try to uncover those sorts of answers is probably indeed, the best outcome one in, can have from a study like this. In, indeed, yeah. indeed. If I may address, it's very interesting to have read through a commentary article 
recently published. It's very interesting when the author relied to the new liberalism and different Palfeyas work and different philosophical educational thoughts. It's highly interesting when the author questioned us, how do we reflect on the Western and non-Western culture. Hopefully, I partly discussed that. It really, I think, to this author who challenged us to think more. But in general, actually, we are trying to explore or practice new ways of doing professional development activities, which we are not training people what to do, how to do things, but we are facilitating people to think in their own way and to see how do we build a common ground but act in their PBO sessions or classrooms. Hopefully that addresses partly what the author has questions, but it is far away from any conclusion. The current year gave us a lot of thoughts and questions to rethink about the values of education in general, say. Yeah, and thanks for staying with that and for continuing to grapple with these issues. I very much look forward to seeing where this work is going. The commentary was just alluded to is from Zarin Zaidi, also in the August 2022 issue of Medical Education. But the paper that Zheng Yun do and I have been discussing is called Health Educators Professional Agency in Negotiating Their PBL Facilitator Roles. You'll find it in that same issue, August 2022. And thank you, Yang Yun, for taking the time to tell us more about it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.